Eric Wanstrom is a CMO of Science, an award-winning lead gen firm. In this episode, we get an in-depth perspective from a seasoned CMO. We talk about driving growth in tough economic conditions, how AI is shifting competitive landscapes everywhere, and then we go deep on how Eric and his team at Science are maximizing lead generation and sales development effectiveness for their clients. There are a ton of gems in this interview, mixed with a bit of fun. I think you might enjoy the discussion as much as we did recording it. Glad to have you here. Um, first question out the gate, you're a five-time CMO. You've been at Science for six years. It's about a yeah. six-year run, right? Yeah. Um, if it ended today, what's next for Eric? Probably more of the same. Um, okay. I really actually love the CMO role and being part of kind of a, a marketing department, marketing team. I oftentimes say that I view marketing as a craft and myself as a craftsman. Mm. Um, I actually anticipate that I'll work probably well past the retirement age because I really kind of get off and and like the aspects of the job that are kind of eternal. For instance, um, figuring out buyer psychology, you know, yeah. like when anyone says, you know, Hey, 30, 60, 90 day plan, where, where do you start with any, you know, kind of like marketing program? Well, you start with who your buyer is or should be. And, you know, figuring out kind of like where those people are, what those, what's important to them, you know, kind of need or problem space associated with our product or service, and then building out a lunch, a lot of uh, kind of overlays. And we can get into all that and how they work into marketing programs. But that's, that's me in a nutshell. I, I'm, I'm endlessly fascinated by marketing. It's changed a ton yeah. since I got into and, you know, like my first CMO role it compared to now, like the, the marketing mix, the activities that we did, campaigns that we ran completely different offline to uh, online alone uh, investments. Yeah. There weren't even social networks back then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I was on an interview the, this morning and I was, I was at Verizon mid two thousands and I was explaining to them the idea of the Palm trio. <laughs> I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> yeah, I kind of dated myself there. <laughs> I work for a company where one of our big marketing um, initiatives way back in the day was launching on Orkut, which used to be Google's social network of all things. Never knew that. Good where they put it out to pasture. <laughs> and it was like, you know, <laughs> just even talking about like social networks that are no longer, it's like, who cares about Friendster and MySpace? <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> So uh, one question I want to know, uh, just in the vein of your journey, is how did you go from journalism yeah. to the convergence of marketing and sales? Well, again, a little bit of, of age on it, uh, but I graduated from San Diego State in the mid-1990s and then took a job and, and was really on the broadcast journalism side of the house uh, at what was then News Corporation, mm. better known to the world as Fox. Um, still, you know, those brands dominate. They've taken on a, a much different kind of like brand impression um, than when I was there for sure. You know, like for instance, on my business card way back in the day was, you know, foxnews.com. And, you know, I used to run their West Coast internet division. And it was fascinating because back then we were number three with a lead weight, like just looking up at CNN and MSNBC and, and wondering how we could get like to that place. Now I think Fox does not view themselves as necessarily competitive in the same ways with CNN or MSNBC whatsoever. Right. Not in the same lane at all. No. 
completely different. Right. Um, but it, so at any rate, the, the transition really happened at Fox where, you know, kind of like internet early days. That makes sense. Um, I came over from the broadcast side and was kind of a young whippersnapper that, that like started to get the new medium, if you will. And back then everything was catch as catch can inside the bowels of this yeah, ginormous. Again, everything is what? Catch as catch can. Like I've never heard that. Um, we had resources, but a lot of those resources like were what we could scare up within kind of like this huge media conglomerate. So for instance, like if we wanted to run a story on foxsports.com or a video, for instance, we would go, you know, knock on the door of, of our broadcast counterparts and say, Hey, can we run the highlights of blah, blah, blah. You know, we, we would do all kinds of like really almost looking back on it. It was, it was like, wow, that this was completely like random that any of this stuff went on, but it was wild, wild west. Like we mm, did the first, technically, I think it was a podcast halftime show of a Super Bowl that Fox was airing on foxsports.com mainly because you know like we thought it was going to be good content um and so at any rate that there there was a lot of fun kind of like stories there but it was really immature and very again catch <laughs> catch as catch can catch as um, catch can all right back in the day so what taught you more i want to know this as well you uh got your uh, bachelor's in journalism, went on to get your MBA in marketing. So you had that track and learned a lot, I'm sure, in that experience. But you also have been a CMO five times. So not that one would happen without the other, but I'm curious, and when you look back, what taught you more, the schooling or the time as a CMO? I would say um, all are lessons that you take away and that you build on, you know, like, I would even add various other roles and businesses and even, you know, wearing my NorCal or Silicon Valley uh, experiences like a badge of honor. Failure is a great teacher too. Mm. You know, things that you tried that didn't quite work, but that you realized a lot of, you know, you're that much closer to um, success when you kind of figure out what, what lanes. <laughs> Scientific mode. Yeah. 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 And I think that that's a pretty healthy way of, of thinking, especially in a marketing department, when you can start to identify, um, you know, where, what are campaigns, what are activities, what are things that we could be doing, what are go-to-market channels that we could be leveraging, um, and then what do I want to look for from an ROI perspective? You know, how 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 do I know when to cut bait on a channel that's not working or something that that isn't delivering the the kind of performance that we think it should, mm. or even you know, kind of greenfielding, like, hey, should we be doing this, you know, like those are the the real learning lessons as far as I'm concerned throughout my career. Good answer. Good answer. So it was it was not necessarily one or the other. It's the failures mostly that taught us. And I couldn't agree 100 percent. I think uh, I, I I formed my practice. I think I shared that with you in our interview out of failure and being, you know, going through some learning lessons in my career. Without uh, a doubt. Yeah. Very good. So um last question on the journey front. Not everyone, not every revenue leader that's tuning in has had the opportunity, if you want to call it that, to lead through a downturned economy. Hmm. You were running marketing and business development at Logitech in 2008, 2009, during that whole era. Yep. So I'm curious, you, uh, you, you, you led through it, right? You came out in 2009, you kept growing your career. I'm just curious, though, 
for that leader that's running marketing for the first time, running sales for the business development for the first time in this downturn and what might be get worse. We don't know. I don't want to speculate, right? But yeah. we're we're at that point. What what did you learn and how are you and what lessons are you like leaning on now that are helping science stay ahead of the curve? Uh set realistic expectations would be number mm-hmm. one. So I think one of the things that happens in sales and marketing um, in good times is what what's this year's quota? Oh, what did we do last year? Add 10%. Great. Right. There we go. <laughs> Whether it's SDRs, arbitrarily just, sales, yeah. you know, quota by geo, whatever. Who cares what's uh, happening in the market? Yeah. In a downturn, that that axiom and that kind of like lack of strategic thought doesn't even apply um, because everything becomes harder and everything becomes um, more scrutinized. And there's greater risk aversion. That's kind of what a downturn means, right? It's like greed, fear cycles, you know, swinging back and forth. You're more into the fear cycle. Um, one of the things I can say, having worked in tech basically for the last two decades, is it was probably even harder the tech downturn of the early aughts. Um, you know, started by the Nasdaq crash in 2000, March of 2000. Uh, that was probably way harder than it, than even kind of the Great Recession of 08, 09 for me personally, largely because tech was so directly impacted. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing some harbingers or some rhyming <laughs> of tech and tech layoffs and what's going on um, right now, you know, end of 22 into 23, that remind me a lot more of kind of like the, the tech downturn of, again, two decades ago than, than I am the Great Recession um, kind of a 0809 because tech actually did not have as didn't get beat up as badly, um, I think, as other sectors. <laughs> well, did. yeah, I saw, I mean, I was in telecom at the time, so uh, you know, that's the iPhone dropped. Uh, it, a lot of things still were transformative at that time, transformative, and kind of, yeah, great uh, innovation. I mean. I, I still think of um, very acutely, probably like the 20, call it 2009 to 2012, maybe it was because of the company I was with, but like the formation and the advent of cloud computing right. was really huge and very um, meaningful to the way you did everything, how everyone kind of looked at the world, this transition away from... And, and I say move to cloud because I think that uh, that also affected um, ephemeral things like business models. So like a good example of that would be, most people don't remember this if they didn't live through it. Um, when you used to buy software, it used to be a one-time purchase, a huge amount with 18% annual maintenance. You know, like that's a software model. Now, I don't even know a company that does that model. Everything's SaaS, the software right. as a service. You know, right. everything's a monthly fee. And the main reason for that is because all of that software is delivered from the cloud. And essentially it's like a rental model that everyone takes for granted, mm-hmm. but that's the kind of the way of the world. And, you know, I even remember oh, um, a, mm-hmm. totally, totally mm-hmm. like a, a good focal point for that exact move I've always felt was Adobe, right? Like a very mm-hmm. familiar brand name. Most people with any kind of creative spark of anything have touched an Adobe product um, through their lifespan. And again, like Photoshop or Illustrator or any Adobe product prior to call it 2012 was bought on a one-time license. There's usually version numbers. 
um, you know, like Photoshop 5.0. Um, and then they made a massive shift in their business to, you know, make everything kind of recurring revenue. I remember their stock getting absolutely like hammered um, in that shift. And it was a lot of pain and a lot of like sturm and drang to get through that, that piece. And now, you know, they're on the other side and their valuations are just like, they've reaped the whirlwind from transitioning to a, a better business model. Do you feel like we're at that same point now, that same point of inflection in the technological space with AI? I do. In fact, even more so, and it's happening mm -hmm. faster. And so I think that it's, um, it's really more of a, the technology has moved so far so fast and been unsheathed in almost like some accidental ways. Like ChatGPT is a good example. I, I was reading the stats the other day. OpenAI.com is the parent company of ChatGPT and their traffic in pre kind of like launch of ChatGPT, OpenAI's traffic was around 18 million unique visitors in November of 22. That same number in Feb of 23 was 665 million. Like, think about that for a second. Like, and they claim, you know, over 100 million active users per day now on yeah, ChatGPT. I'm on there every day. Mm -hmm. It's been faster than any social network has achieved that type of escape velocity. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I can't think of another B2B tool that has a, a relevant precedence. And, and this is all coming during the time, at least the way it shapes up in my own little mental narrative, where you say to yourself, oh, this is a use case. Okay, I could use it for this reason. Or, oh, wait a minute, uh, this this would help. Oh, you know, and it's like, it's not Exponential even- Exponential use cases that in this, we just haven't uncovered it all yet even, yeah. Oh, we're so early innings. Yeah. And, and yeah. what's funny is it's not coming the way most things in a corporation come, which is top down. It's right. not coming by like, Mm -hmm. leaders of the company saying, hey, you got to get on chat GPT. Well, and bring your own device. You talked about cloud computing. It did usher in some some of that, I think. I think there was a bring your own you know, device, your laptops, your phones. There was, you know, we have product-led adoption now. That we, I mean, but that's probably still the freemium models uh, last five, 10 years more. So you're right. Yeah. And so I think that companies everywhere are coming to grips with how should we be leveraging this technology? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What does it mean to lead? What does it mean to incorporate? What are my people doing with the tech? Where is it right to use? You know, mm -hmm. I think there's definitely a lot of fear and uncertainty and doubt <laughs> around like, do, does this mean somebody's job is going to be lost? Is that, are, are, are things going to be obsolesced? Um, there's a lot of, <laughs> it, it's ironic that the the Oscar winning film of the last year was everything everywhere all at once because it couldn't be a better meme right. for the time that we are now living in, especially in the business on the business landscape. Yeah, it's uh, I, I feel like there's using it using AI in your product as a business, finding that that way, right? Uh, using it in your go to market. Right, servicing clients, getting new clients, marketing to clients, and then the operational arm of your business, finding those ways to drive efficiency, whether it be in, I don't know, back office or in supply chain, you 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 name it. I think these 
these are the areas that you have to at this point, even in that we were talking about this in our interview, the arms race around this, because if you're not implementing and, and leveraging and finding it, you're exponentially being left behind every day that you aren't incorporating this somehow, some way, your next closest competitor is either gaining market share even further, or they're coming biting on your heels. It's just, it's a, it's a, a game changer. I really, that's why I'm, I think. Um, so how are you leveraging it today? I know you have a software arm of your business. Um, so I know there's a probably somewhere in there that you might be leveraging it, but are is science using uh, chat GPT in the product? Are you using it and go to market motions on behalf of clients and, and your people as a service offerings? Talk to us about how you're incorporating it. I believe the correct answer is D, all of the above. Okay, cool. <laughs> Multiple right. choice Take it down. <laughs> yeah, so um, it's funny. I, I was actually just staring at um, goai.science.com, which is our own chatbot that we just built um, hmm. as an LLM where we were feeding and fed the, the tool, kind of like all science literature, collateral, mm -hmm. web pages, our podcast, everything over the last, you know, eight years of our existence and is now like literally a chat bot that you can interact with, ask any questions about science, and it'll spit back an answer for you um, on demand. That was proof of concept one. Um, we now are in the throes of rolling that out to each and every one of our clients because we also sell a product called Science Go Chat. And we're going to be folding in kind of the AI from our labs, if you mm -hmm. will, to do the exact same. So are you converting large... that way or is it, is it still serving up? Are you, is, is the chat bot that you're using now facilitating new discovery meetings that are being coordinated and booked on calendar? Like how far is it taking that conversation? Yeah. So it, we're right at the point where we're about to intersect the AI into the chat itself to where we can let the bot handle all the conversations and then feed to our scheduling tool, go, go schedule. So that is the design, that is the goal, that is the what we will be selling to clients who you know partner with us um, going forward. But the exciting thing is, is kind of leveraging this idea that, hey, just by applying an LLM, we can provide more value to our clients um, in every, you know, kind of what we like to refer to as partnership that we're, we're getting into in ways that maybe they didn't even expect when they signed up with science in, in the first place. Um, and so that's delightful as far as I'm concerned. And I'm, I'm super excited to see where, where it all, all goes, because I don't see a, a, a downside to doing that. Um, especially for the businesses that we work with that may not even have their own resources, may not have their own right. kind of like right. vision to, um, you know, kind of build something like this out and then. Yeah. Or to operationalize it even. Yeah. Cause in theory it sounds great, but orchestrating an implementation around this stuff isn't always super simple. And so having someone that can kind of do it for you on your behalf uh, has it built and has the level of sophistication that you guys do. Uh, I, I can see why they they would partner with you. Um, yeah. I want to take a step back, if you don't mind. I, I sure. wanted to ask, I wouldn't be remiss if I didn't ask about um, certain things as a, and since I'm talking to a CMO, one of those has to do with alignment with sales. Yep. Can you talk to the audience about you know what the dynamic looks like with your current uh, sales leader and how do you shape 
a strong alignment uh, in, in your current state? And what would you recommend to those that are listening? Yeah, uh, great question. And what I would say is I, I think I learned a few CMO roles back, um, a pretty valuable lesson. And it's one that, that I, I maybe even had a sea change myself on this thinking, mm. but I truly believe that marketing serves sales. And by saying that, um, it actually aligns virtually everything that you ever do kind of like by default so that ultimately if, if you believed as I once did, um, that marketing was kind of an independent Island, you know, kind of doing its thing, judged on its own KPIs, incentivized and bonus on its own KPIs. Um, one of the hard lessons that I learned was kind of like the, I refer to it as like one hand clapping or one hand high-fiving um, because the loneliest, worst feeling is when marketing crushes their numbers. Oh my God, our inbound you know, MQLs are up like 25% quarter over quarter and we were amazing. And oh, sales missed their number by a pretty wide. Yeah, that's doing the touchdown dance when we're down by three <laughs> uh, touchdowns in the last two minutes of the game. Like, wait, why? Are, what are you celebrating? <laughs> It doesn't work. Right. And, you know, the, the reverse, <laughs> the reverse is the exact opposite. Mm. So like if marketing is struggling, but sales crushes it, people are usually like, okay, what do we need to do to pick marketing up? All right. Like, you know, like, let's figure that out. What's going on there? Um, not that I've had a lot of marketing sucking, but like ultimately sales cures virtually all evils, you know, like, Fair. Yeah. I've always said too that you you always want your salespeople to be the highest compensated folks in your entire organization. Sales is much like water where it finds a level, to, especially to comp plans. So whatever you incentivize and put into comp plans is what you're going to get. Mm. Um, and so I'm I'm a big believer that you know in the kumbaya or trying to get kumbaya between marketing and sales. If you have an understanding of you know where the bread is buttered. And it is on close one net new revenue. It's on business or, you know, like expansion, basically taking and, and you know, mm -hmm. earning more revenue. Like that's the number at the end of the day. And then you can roll marketing metrics up to that all day long and it'll be really healthy. I love that, that sales is the customer that we're, we're servicing ultimately as a that's sales right. development focused person myself as well. That's the same flag I'm carrying is, you know, how can we serve up the product that you want, Mr. Customer? How can we serve it in a way, you know, in doing that market product marketing analysis of understanding your customer your, and, and what they're looking for, right? Going to that degree with it. Uh, I, I agree with that 100%. Um, yeah, but in, in reality, it's just, it's really hard to shape that personality conflicts alone, make it hard to to do that because in, on paper, you know, connecting or the teams through comp plans and things of that sort and metrics, it works for sure. Uh, but then there's just, you know, good old fashioned. I don't like that person very much. So how do you solve that dynamic of like personality conflict and, you know, finding that healthy dynamic in that in that space because it a lot of the alignment or lack thereof within organizations stems from this relationship yeah it really does um and i would break no new ground if i said that marketing is actually pretty misunderstood or poorly understood um, by a lot of sales folks who again like rightly so i think um don't necessarily care about the dirty details like 
you want to watch people's eyes, especially on a sales team, roll back in their heads really fast. Just start going into the intricacies of like how to optimize an SEO page, right? Like the color, about the color panel, the color code that we put in here and the size of the, the logo. Yeah. Uh-huh. We, de- <laughs> we decided on this background graphic with this person because it conveyed this psychological. Yeah. Da, 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 da. yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a marketer. I feel like I think you can't be a good salesperson if you're not a good marketer in this, in this day and era. Yeah, but um, that, that's, that's probably a true. Topic. Yeah. But 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 my bigger point is simply that you know a lot of um, a lot of that misunderstanding, a lot of that kind of like lack of respect, oftentimes that, mm-hmm. that comes with marketing, um, doesn't come from an evil, mean, you know, bad person place. Right, it comes right, from right. maybe just like a again an undereducated. Um, place and bigger priorities or bigger, you know, goals um, to fill. The other area, the other ground that I'd be remiss if I didn't touch on is this. I also think that there's a strong impetus that I see disregarded amongst my marketing or CMO peers um, at their peril Hmm. when they don't understand kind of like the concept of a salesperson's time. What do I mean by that? It's very easy for marketers to, again, like design everything under the sun to get to a place of an MQL. An MQL is usually like, can be content related, Mm -hmm. you know, like, hey, we got a a great, you know, webinar that we're putting on with amazing guests and thousand people showed up, but they showed up for the great guests and, and that webinar, not so much to be in our sales cycle and to like kick off a buy cycle. Same with an e buy e ebook or a guide or you know, like a lot of the content motions that happen, I think this also happens around events a lot, um, you know, don't necessarily immediately translate one-to-one into sales cycle. And and a rookie marketing mistake is to basically think that they do. Right. Uh, another rookie marketing mistake is to think that all inbound is good inbound and you should throw everything over the fence that you get. That's not oh, true at all. Yeah, not at all, right. Mm-hmm. And so people that don't know how to qualify inbound properly and just pass it all the sales, like literally are teaching sales to distrust what comes from marketing. That sounds kind of harsh and, and a little bit like, you know, controversial when I say it and I hear the words tumbling from my mouth, but a lot of that is, is built on kind of like what I've learned over the years around, you know, when, when you have a lot of trust built up in sales and people like realize that, that what you're doing is helping them, right. again, you're serving them from a sales perspective and they can see line of sight to close one business for virtually all the leads that you provide, whether they're inbound, outbound, all bound, word of mouth, whatever. Like that's when the magic starts to really happen. That's when salespeople, um, that trust is everything because then they really want to work. Exactly. Jointly. Yeah. The vision, if you will, or fulfill the, you know, Hey, Jerry they want to feed the say. flywheel because they now they start understanding that they, they can connect the dots between what's happening on the execution side and what's happening back on the strategy side with marketing and how it's all coming together and influencing whether or not, you know, those touches you talked about earlier may not turn into buy cycles, but they may influence, you know, perception and where they are in a buyer's journey over time and that sort of thing. So um, I appreciate that you take that position with a great deal. And it's, I know it's tough to straddle that fence and, um, you know, I think that's the call for centralized roles like, you know, revenue officers are, you know, probably being thrown at that as a, as a way to solve for that quickly. But 
um, you know, it sounds like there are some means and ways if you just position the mindset, right? How you think about your, your function, you can inherently have greater alignment. Uh, so I, for those that are struggling, there you have it. Uh, so uh, one sneak peek into your playbook, and then I want to zoom into uh, what science is up to, if that's okay. Sure. Yeah. I heard in another interview that you are rolling in your tech stack, HubSpot and Sales Loft. So HubSpot CRM, probably using mm -hmm. the marketing side as well, I, would, I would presume. We are. Um, and then Sales Loft integrated together. Have you be, you've been running that for a little while? We have, yeah. We okay. even use HubSpot CMS as our, you know, kind of um, content, content management system and publishing, web publishing. Very good. Uh, Salesforce certified, big HubSpot fan. Salesloft certified. The thing though is, when I see HubSpot and Salesloft set up, I don't always see it playing well. The integration can be hard to manage at times. I'm curious, what has been your experience with those two? And this might be a plug for that setup. Most often I try and encourage customers to go with, or clients to go with uh, HubSpot's sequencing tool as opposed to SalesLoft. With all honesty, SalesLoft, please don't stab me for that. Yeah, we we found um, some encumbrances of just being exclusively HubSpot, which mm. we were uh, for a while there, a few years back. We adopted SalesLoft and, and frankly, it was a tool that open the door to greater sales engagement, greater sales enablement for our entire fleet of hundreds of SDRs. And so, and we didn't really look back. So the, the thing for us was really around purpose-built tool for the job at hand, which was running sequences and doing everything out of a single platform that we wanted to do um, at the end of the day, right? Like not to get deep in the weeds, but like yeah. the HubSpot dialer wasn't ready for prime time, couldn't be used in the way we wanted to use it. Um, bunch of features that that weren't ready or were missing. Um, automated email cadences or sequences were another limitation. Um, and again, this is coming from a HubSpot. You know, Shop. we were yeah. used to be mm -hmm. a platinum partner of theirs. Right. So I have no like loss of love for them. I just think that in this uh, particular area of the business, which both of us specialize in, it's it's an it's a it's an important topic. That sales engagement platform is where our SDRs spend the majority of their time. Yeah, and we want them to be really successful, especially when it's uh, on behalf of our clients. So, right, right. at the end of the day, like we we're more concerned with effectiveness um, and efficiency, both both the E's, if you will, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. than you know just kind of trying to make life easier for us by single sourcing on on one platform. Okay. Thank you for that. Uh, got to give it a, another look uh, and see how how that integration is working. I know it worked really well with Salesforce, but to your, to the, I saw some bugs with that Salesforce, Salesloft, HubSpot, and Dataflow. You can bring Trade.io and some other things in to make it work. But um, moving on, besides your products and services, you know, and something that's not related to products or services, how is science different from other organizations that are a lead gen service? Funny you should ask. Um, if you want to learn some of the, the fact-based answer here, just go to leadgen.science.com and you can find a comparison between us and 238 of our closest competitors. Wow, that's bold. Yeah, it is. I like getting into their sales cycles too. At any rate, the <laughs> especially when we pop up as a search result that, you know, like there we are. <laughs> um, no, but like 
all kidding aside, I, I also like to think of us as being very holistic in our approach to sales development. Um, not the least of which the, the future of science and where we've been going, where we've been skating to where we think the public puck is moving right. is really with our software led approach. And so we built an entire platform largely to service our own needs. Um, so the platform has at, at present seven different modules. I alluded to a few of them earlier in the call. Foundation module is GoData. And so the data piece was something that we built over time. We used to do all of our data manually on the mm -hmm. back of human researchers going out and you know essentially finding like literally all the data pieces you would have necessary for a sequence, you know, first name, last name, email, phone, blah, 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 blah. Like we now sit atop uh, a database or a data subscription service, really, that's 200 million records deep and does a lot of other really kind of fun things as well. For instance, but baked into GoData is another tool of ours called GoIntent. So this basically goes out and we have 33.8 million web pages that we monitor. We understand kind of like the topic that those pages um, are all about through NLP that we're getting. And then we we watch and marry up with our identity graph, what companies are hitting those pages. And voila, you have um, inferences to who might be in market for various topics. So that's go intent. Um, we also have the data piece kind of like prevalent in our product go show. What that is, is a de-anonymization of web visit or website traffic. So people that are coming to your website, by the way, marketers out there, you know, I'm, I'm gonna speak to you for just a second, like vast majority of people that come to your website do absolutely nothing and then they leave. <laughs> in fact, most conversion rates are like 2%, 1% in the SaaS space, like 99% of your traffic is like hitting you and going, bye-bye. What we love to do is basically take that 99%, especially then, you know, match it up to who fits your ICP and go right after them. In fact, I would argue that should be the number one prioritized outbound motion. We call it inbound led outbound. Um, and what unlocks that door is the ability to know who's actually on your website. So that question you can... for you on that topic though. Yep. There isn't there a, a, um, dependence on one's ability to drive traffic to its website in order for that 97% to get to a material amount where you would go outbound to it. Like you have 50,000 visitors coming to your website, yep. unique visitors every month. You, you mentioned that. That's a lot. Not everybody is at that stage, particularly in an early point. stage startup organization. They're lucky if they're getting anywhere near that. Right. So it, the inbound led outbound model targeting people who have been to your website that you now you have uh i'm going to butcher this word de-anonymized yeah okay cool caller uh, id so, for the web how's that caller id for the web thank you that makes it a lot easier uh but yes so you're still you're limited to that pool if you're if you're not driving a lot to your website so one question i want to ask about your service offering is how do you prepare your agents your sdrs uh, for your, these client engagements where they're outbounding on their behalf. Um, like how do they close the skill gap? And because they're not warmed up as much, right? That's, I think that's kind of the, what I'm trying to say here is that yeah. some of these leads might be familiar with you, but in some of these outbound 
campaigns that you're working on, I would imagine that they're not familiar and they don't have some of that web traffic. Well, so two answers to that, and at the risk of sounding pitchy, because I don't want to sound pitchy, um, we, we solved. Let me pitch. The, Go ahead and pitch. <laughs> we, we solved the the demand problem because we also have Science Go Digital, which is a, a demand side platform, an ad network where we basically can throw ads across whatever your total addressable market is. Let's say it's fifty thousand folks. Mm-hmm. We can get in front of them. And drive them to your website. So that's one of the ways we're answering that question. Okay. But to your second question, this is actually the heart of the rationale for why inbound led outbound over and above other forms of outbound. For instance, list led outbound. Right, right. So I would argue, or I would submit to you, submitted for your approval, the idea that most list led outbound is as cold as cold can get. In other words, I'm a vendor, I pull the list. I then work that list, whether it's A to Z or Geo or however I'm going to attack that list. Um, the people that landed on that list, they had no hand in that. They, they were not like part of the equation, if you will, other than fitting the ICP parameters. Yeah, likely not in the buyer's journey path whatsoever. You talk a lot about and plotting yourself appropriately there. They're not exactly. even thinking about it. But that sales, though, a lot of times is getting it people is. to understand. It's cold start. Yeah, cold start. All I'm suggesting is... If possible, and it doesn't have to be all campaigns. In fact, I view this more as an additive campaign or the word I, I really love is prioritized campaign okay. so that when you can watch your website, when you can kind of screen and monitor and then ultimately read and react so that you know people are being matched to who's visiting your website every minute of every business day, right? Like depending on traffic, mm-hmm. um, as they come through, you then run a screen and say, is this part of my ICP? Does it match? Does this contact um, and company, are they someone I would want to do business with? If yes, launch an outbound campaign. And now what's different is that warmth, right? So when I call up and say, hey, I'm calling from science. Yeah, that's science without an S. And I don't even need to mention that I saw you on my website and, and potentially creep people out. Like I can rely on serendipity and timing. Right. And the fact that like, wait a minute, science, I was just on your website. Yeah, you're positioning certain uh, situational questions around probing and opening statements that infer and create that serendipitous situation, right? Mm -hmm. Very good. I mean, I'm a big fan. So quick messaging tip here. I'm a big fan of continuing to do the things that work in normal list-led outbound in inbound-led outbound, such as personalization, such as putting the buyer first, right? Like the problem space that they are likely, you know, what might be their likely need mm-hmm. so that ultimately I can still have that substantive conversation, still kick off a sales cycle um, based around them, you know, cause they're the apple of our eye. They're the, the object of our affection uh, always. It's not about us or it is, but it isn't yet. You know what I'm saying? Right. For the guide, they're the hero. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, if you take a kind of a story selling kind of perspective, Framework, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that that is, you'll never go wrong, much like I was giving the advice earlier about being the servant, you know, like from a marketing sales perspective. I don't think you'll ever go wrong putting the customer in the, the role of hero. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like ever. I, I can't even think of a time. Yeah. And don't make the mistake of trying to make your competition the villain either. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Sometimes well, I love, last question for you, and we'll wrap. 
what does it look like or have you or does your organization ever work alongside in-house SDR teams? What does that all look like all the time? What does that look oh, like? Oh, yeah. It usually looks like um, swim lanes that are established around, you know, if we are doing list-led outbound, it would be working a given patch, whether that patch is defined by mm. a product set like or a geo or a certain tier of contacts. Um, there's a million ways to slice and dice and segment, but we basically work kind of alongside. Since in every case where science is stood up and is working in partnership with our clients, we represent as them. So people don't even know, don't know science mm-hmm. exists. You know, we're, <laughs> I, I like to say, I think by total revenues, our biggest client right now is Amazon. So it's not like we're reaching out from a science.com domain on behalf of Amazon. It's at amazon.com. It's, it's an OEM white labeled <laughs> arrangement. Yeah. That's right. Cool. Well, this has been great. It's been enlightening. I appreciate you coming on the show and having me on yours originally. It's been great getting to know you. Uh, hopefully we can keep the doors of communication open. Where should people go to find you and uh, give them the website as well? Sure. Yeah. Finding me is actually super easy. Way too many prospectors do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's, the last name, right? <laughs> there's really not that many Quantstroms out in the world today, right. um, largely because the name was changed through Ellis Island way back a few generations ago. And, Late uh, 1800s, early 1900s was the first uh, yeah. started to emerge. I did. I was looking at that. Yeah, it, it's crazy. Like I, I often ruminate and reflect on the fact that like, like one, I don't know, gate operator at Ellis Island, like forever changed the trajectory of like, at least my family surname forevermore, like, cause they couldn't pronounce Kavarnstrom with a KV and a umlaut. Like it was just too big of a task, ah, I guess. So, interesting story. Yeah, you're Quanstrom with a Q now. So here you go. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Very good. EQ, though. Yes, the EQ that's right. On point. Cool. And so then if you... uh, find you on LinkedIn. Um, now it's science without the, without the S. Yes. Is that dot .com or dot is com. that IO, AI? We don't can't keep up these I days. I think we own virtually oh, all okay. the other extensions, but why not go to the dot .com? You've been listening to the Sales Consultant Podcast. If you enjoyed the interview and would like to support the show, please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and or on Spotify. Please also consider following our LinkedIn page. If you're an industry expert or if you know an industry expert that should be on the show, message us on LinkedIn at the Sales Consultant Podcast.